five, scores! Rick Vaughn. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Vaughn, Gary Nevin. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Episode 113 of the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibes. Squid, how you keeping? Still jet lag from Sweden? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I had a good sleep last night, but... I'm still kind of a little bit out of it uh, after traveling as much as we did, but I think it'll only be another day, and I think I'll be fine. That's Well, that's good to hear. So we, we, <laughs> well, you got your A game today because you better be on your toes today with our guest. This, we have quite a character, uh, great guy, a very interesting career he's had so far. I don't know where to begin except saying he was taken eighth overall by Montreal Canadiens in 1995 amateur draft. Enjoying an eight-year pro career. He's an Allen Cup finalist, has a university degree, wrote wrote two books. One, I'm going to read hopefully both of them, Tales of a First Round Nothing. Uh, he's an accomplished actor, hosts Tales with TR, Terry Ryan podcast. He does another one for a hockey podcast. Uh, he's a, he was a stand-up <laughs> comic. I mean, my God, he competed internationally in ball hockey. I mean, I think we pumped his tires long enough. Here we go. Welcome, Terry Ryan. Terry, first off, thanks for joining us. And how you doing? I'm glad you could find an hour to talk to us. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, honestly, it's a real honor to be here. And, it, and it, it, as was it a couple of weeks ago to play with uh, Rick in the little mini tour of, Saint, of, of Newfoundland we got going. I'm a big hockey fan in general. And I know you guys have an awesome podcast. And Rick Five is... Uh, part of hockey history in more ways than one so it's an honor to be here oh well thank you terry <laughs> yeah, hey, no, swear, man. hey I, I was born in 77 you were doing what you were doing and i was the you know you they say you form your sports and hockey in my case heroes between like five and 12 right and you were in your prime mm -hmm. then so I, I remember a lot and plus back then there wasn't as many options. It was simple. Throw on Hockey Night in Canada and whoever's playing, you go from there. And uh, yeah. it seems now that we, we know less about uh, a lot more. And I preferred it the way I grew up. But I, I guess everybody would say that. Well, that's, uh, that's good. I and mean, we've got so much we want to get through with you, Terry. But, you know, I guess best way to go about it is let's just go back to the beginning. I mean, you're born in St. John's, Newfoundland. I played with a guy from there. Your dad played in the OHA, had a stint in the WHA. Yeah. Is that how you took to the game of hockey as a kid? It is. Dad came from, a, I don't mind saying it, for lack of a better word, a poor family. He's uh, five brothers and sisters, and his dad was a waiter, and his mom didn't work. So he was from Grand Falls, Newfoundland. I don't think growing up he ever really expected to play in the NHL or the WHA, or I don't even think he knew what the WHA was, but... Um, <laughs> Grand Falls was, at the time, Abitibi Price was a big company and had a, a, a paper mill there. Yeah. And brought in, and so they ran the town, basically, and they brought in Joe Byrne, an ex-NHLer, accomplished NHLer, to run minor hockey. It's now the Joe Byrne Arena. Uh, and Grand Falls has a history of hockey going, right. well, they won the Allen Cup. We mentioned the Allen Cup earlier, mm -hmm. just four, four or five years ago. And they were big, you know, my dad went to all the games growing up. So when Joe Byrne came in, my dad's small town of Grand Falls, Windsor, ended up, well, they, they were winning. They, you know, Joe started being their coach. Five guys off his Bantam team, a small little thing, went pro. Uh, Terry French, Jim Munch, Tony White scored 30 in the late 70s for uh, Washington Capitals. Uh, Danny House, Terry French, my dad, Jim Munch, yeah, and Tony. So, and, so my dad, but his goal was to get a degree. No one in his family had ever done that. Um, a lot of fishermen on one side, a lot of laborers and people that I'm not saying that they weren't into sports or they weren't smart. It just wasn't part of the culture as much at the time in Newfoundland, especially. My dad's born in 52. Newfoundland only joined Confederation in 49. Um, his family on the Ryans are all from St. Joseph's, a fishing town. Everything was fishing. You know, you go to church on Sunday, you fish, you go to the Legion and have your beers. Very simple life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he went to Hamilton and kind of, like he said, he was deer in the headlights, but he knew that they were going to pay for his school or he could, you know, get it through that. 
and he finished it. So he, he went through had a very successful career, went 44th overall, I think in the both leagues. Uh, but then he ended up signing in the WHA. Uh, honestly, his coach from Hamilton was Harry Neal, and Harry went to be assistant oh. coach. That's that's what happened. Is and Harry went to be the assistant coach in in Minnesota, and Dad went there. It's funny; he only played one year in the WHA, and he set the record for shorthanded goals, and it stood for like five, six years. He had six. He didn't play much. He knew knew going there. I mean, it was first year pro, so I guess he didn't expect too much. But he put that full year in. He's really proud of it. But finished his schooling and came home and. Started being a teacher and was lured back a couple of times, but his goal was to be a, a teacher and have his degree. And you know, for many many reasons, the biggest one being that he grew up poor and and it was a sense of accomplishment to him more more of an accomplishment to have his degree, I guess. And uh, you know, then then to actually keep playing pro. But he had some good years. In his final year, I think in Kalamazoo, he had a hundred odd points, and he didn't get up and he just said, "Okay, I'm done." So he came back. Point being, he never took himself out of the game. You asked me how I started. He started coaching a junior team here, the Mount Pearl Blades, and he did it to the best of his ability. He played a little bit of senior hockey, always big here. So I grew up, and he was either coaching or playing, so I had free ice time all the time. And not only did he coach, one year they went undefeated and won the Atlantic Junior B Championship, which was big for a small town like Mount Pearl. And, you know, the players on his teams ended up being my heroes and I was just on the ice, my friends and I, every day. And we had all that because he would schedule his practices for minor hockey would happen. And then his practice would be at nine or 10 or that he would be last. So then whenever his practice was over, if my, but you know, my buddies were as welcome as well, Gary Clark, Jeremy Charles, go down the list. And we would have free ice time. The, 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 the if the parents didn't mind, then dad would say, Hey, I'll, I'll stay here with you till two in the morning if you want. So, it was a lot of free ice time. It was a lot of influences. And senior hockey in Newfoundland is real big. So players, mm -hmm. Bill Riley played here right right after an yeah. NHL. Uh, Bill McDougal, Mario Roberge, uh, Robbie Forbes's, or sorry, Sidney Crosby's uncle, Robbie Forbes, one of the best players to come through. But each, each team had four or five imports. Some of Aaron, them. Aaron Asham. Aaron Asham came a few years ago. It, it yeah. goes on to this day. Uh, Ash and I played in Gander. We played junior together. And... I asked them to come over, and it's a market here, right? They pay for it, especially in the smaller communities that are fairly isolated because they like to see a good product, and that's why we always have a chance at the Allen Cup. Growing up, you know, in minor hockey, our population maybe holds us back a little bit, but when it gets to senior and people can go wherever they want, you're going to fly them in and pay them. Why not? <laughs> so, we've always had, so I grew up like a big, big fan, and then with all that ice time, to be honest, I went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament one year, and we were, and it wasn't just me, it was all my buddies. We won everything. We won baseball, soccer, hockey, provincials every year. It was just one of those. I just happened, got to be a bit of luck involved, right? I happened to be with a group that were really into sports. And uh, that's it. I went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament and scored like a hat trick every game and really blew the roof off it. And uh, to be honest, I'm not trying to pump my tires, but that's what happened. And Tri-City Americans were there. And... Uh, I, you know, I didn't know anything about the Western League, but that's where my dad's knowledge of it came in. And, and it was an era. He said, he said, you know, I was a bit feisty. I was big for my age. And he said, you know, I get called up to Bantam and I do all right. Um, but it was a weird because I'd never played with hitting before. Tri-City had me move out west and they said they'd draft me, but I didn't know I'd be playing junior. So my two Bantam years, I played junior for the Cornell, Cornell Millionaires. It was quite, of all the eye openers ever, that was the biggest for sure. Well, I was going to ask you, Terry, yeah. you know, you fast-tracked a tier two junior playing at 14. You yeah. won a scoring title, made the all-star team. So it was around this time you started to realize you were separating yourself from kids your own age and that your game had another level? Yeah, it was actually, it was bittersweet. I, I remember distinctly when I went to Cornell. And at home, it, it's not like players in Quebec or Ontario, the population is so big and you can just – drive somewhere to a center that plays I, I i think you take for granted what it's like to leave home as a newfoundlander at some point you know alex newhook just won the cup with the colorado avalanche but he left at 14 or 15 as well mm -hmm. if you're a blue chip you got to leave early there's just really no way around it in my case real early because there was no scouting even here now now at least with the globalization of the internet and you know the queue and everything else but anyway for me to navigate around being a kid and then being this blue chipper was was real tough. And when I got to the Quebec tournament, and as soon as I went out west and played a game junior, TSN came out, Jim Van Horn, and did a story. It was called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and not everybody saw it as good. My dad <laughs> knew I could handle it, right? But there's a way. I'm playing junior at 14. Now there's going to be parties with beer at them. 
There's going to be girls that want to bang now, right? There's going to be guys smoking dope. There's going to be there's a whole new world Absolutely. that you're going to have to navigate around. Before that, honestly, you know, I was worried about undoing a bra, maybe you know, having two beer at a party and thinking I was some kind of rebel. You know, that was my idea of being a rebel. Was you know, a little bit outside the edges, but I was a hockey player and you know, and a student. To be honest, I was always a good student. So um, they were a bit worried about that, and and I went out. But I, I guess, you know, not everybody can, but my dad judged it. And he went, I remember he went to every player on the team at, at the beginning, at least the leaders, when I first went there. I had to try out, but it was, I ended up leading the team in scoring. So I, I knew two games into the tryout I was going to make it. And I remember the first thing I thought, because they were like, do you want to play midget too and affiliate? And I'm like, do I have to wear a visor and midget? They're like, yeah. I said, fuck that. I love the freedom of being 14 and having the visor on. I loved it. And um, uh, to be honest, it was shit or get off the pot. And when you asked, I'm talking two things, and I'm sorry I talk a lot, but the, as far as the, yeah, because now all of a sudden I got out there and it wasn't the same. I didn't have my buddies I grew up with. None of, no one, might, like, I didn't have that bubble, that comfort of, of, of you know, no, to that point in Mount Pearl, you, you're on a roller coaster ride. Anybody is growing up, but they're all doing it at your timing and on your level. Now I'm out there and the people I'm hanging out with, even if they're just in my grade, I skipped a grade, are a year older. And that's I'm really hanging out with the hockey. So the youngest guys on the team at that year were 17. So they were three years older than me. Mm -hmm. So that was hard because I and, you know, everything was different. It was high school and everybody drove. Uh, it, it was just all of a sudden I was an adult. It, it was a really weird feeling. And I, yeah, it, it, it took a while to get. And but I would still come home in the summer and then be like, I don't know, throwing eggs at houses, you know, as, <laughs> yeah. You know, grade nine, right? Like, so grade eight and nine. So, like, it was a weird kind of dichotomy that I lived in, the worlds that I bounced in between. But I remember, you know, what am I going to do? And it's got really rough. And the first game, really rough. And a, a player on the other team cross-checked me in the face. And we had a fight. I got absolutely, absolutely shaken. I didn't know what to do. I'd never thrown a hit before, other than the call-ups to the odd Bantam game, let alone fought. So... I, uh, yeah, it was the second game. I knew when he, when he kicked the shit out of me the first game, I said, fuck this. Um, and I, I went back and basically called him off the bench and I beat him up. And you know how I did it? I had hot sauce on my hands, man. I, I put hot sauce <laughs> all over my hands it, it, right before, right before the game. None of the players knew it. They were all going to stick up for me. But junior A, even then, you fought, you got kicked out. You, you, you could keep, there was no limit on the year, but if, if you fought, you got kicked out. So they were waiting for the third. So I said, fuck it, I'll go after him in the second period. And I wiped hot sauce in his face, kicked the shit out of him, and lost my virginity after the game. Ten birds with one stone. And I scored a goal that night, too, yeah. The Terry Ryan hat trick. Yeah, fight, goal, bang. <laughs> I really, I grew up a lot. That that day, if there's one, not everybody has one day, but I have a real, about a, a 10-hour period that I grew up a lot, like months and months, maybe even years. That night, man. Because the first game was a game, and I still might have gotten cut. They're like, wait, because I got thrown out. The guy cross-checked me, but we fought like I, right after that. So it was the first period, so I didn't really play yet. But that second game, I remember first period, tipping one upstairs, and the place would be sold out, right, because I was so young. So people would I thought they were there to see the team. They were, but a lot of people were there to see me. I mean, who's this fucking guy from Newfoundland think he is, right? <laughs> I remember scoring one, feeling part of it. And then when I won that fight and especially got laid after the game, I remember the next day coming into the room going, I'm never going home again. I'm a Quinnell millionaire now. I'm a junior player. Right? <laughs> Everything changed overnight. Now, how did, uh, Terry, how did you end up in, in Seattle as opposed to maybe the OHL or the Quebec League? Because, well, that was it, right? The Quebec League at the time, I, again, it's completely changed, but mm -hmm. it wasn't very it was the lesser of the three leagues for sure. They hadn't won the Memorial yeah. Cup in over 20 years, right? I think Cornwall maybe was OHL, but they went over to the Q free. Cornwall won it in 1980, 81, and then Lafleur and those guys in the early 70s. But the Q wasn't winning it at all in the 80s mm -hmm. at all. So, and the teams that were always, like that I would, I mean, ironically, what ended up happening when I went to the West, Three of the four years that I played in the league, Kamloops in my division not only won the league, they won the Memorial Cup. Three oh, wow. years of, of three out of five years. And they were in my division, which helped. We didn't win, but it helped scouts, man, because they were all over us. Right. <laughs> I mean, Jerome McGinley was on my 
a teammate on under 18 Canada. We played against each other 24 times a year. Stuff like that. Shane Doan, Darcy Tucker, Jason Strudwick, uh, Brad Lukowicz, they're all on just one team in my division. Then you get Sheldon Surrey, Zdeno Chara, Eric Brewer, all on Prince George. Like we were at, so, you know, I remember the thought going out there was a lot of these prospects, and it was the, year, the, the age of the power forward. My first NHL game ended up being against Eric Lindros, the Legion of Doom, right? These big yeah. Scott Stevens, right? Sheldon Surrey, my teammate, ended up going to Jersey, right? No fluke. They had Danico Stevens. It was, it was a, the era was favored bigger players and ones that liked long bus rides and group beards in junior kind of thing, right? Like, so I, as I learned more and more about junior, I knew where I, where I belonged and it was out West, but from that tournament in, in Quebec, there was a lot of scouts there. I nearly went to Cambridge to play with the winter Hawks. And then, but I knew that the draft out West is earlier than everywhere else. It's when you're 14. Mm -hmm. So I figured in my head, once I knew what was going on, I can go out there. And if tri city don't pick me or I get picked to a team, I don't want to go to, I can just come home. Right. And then I'll go yeah. either to, the OHL would have been second. My buddy Danny Clary ended up going there. As soon as I went out west, Mike Barnett called me. And it was like my first week, and he was Wayne Gretzky's agent. So then I knew, and he, and he told me, he said, you know, you're, you'll be the youngest I ever signed. I just signed Radic Bonk. He's a year older than you. And he said, I'll sign you now. But he, and, and the first thing my dad said was, if you think Terry's good, you got to go see this kid, Daniel Clary, play. And Clary ended up with the Stanley Cup with Detroit. Well, uh, but, th but that's what happened. And, you know, I went to a Vancouver Super Series in before all this, after Quebec, because you asked me, the link that glues it all together, Tri-City came to me in Quebec, and they wanted me to go out and play with an all-star team from Vancouver in a minor hockey tournament called the Vancouver Super Series, which mm -hmm. showcased all the best in the West, USA included. And my dad said, because he was going to, well, I, I had to run it by him, and he was like, I think we should take a team because there's, there wasn't a lot of players scouted there at the time. John Slaney was from Newfoundland, scored the big goal from Canada for Canada in the juniors yeah. in 91, but he went eighth or ninth overall. So we're like, either you, you know, Slaney, Slaney was good around here, but there was all kinds of players that were like almost there. That, so if Slaney is the best junior in Canada and he's ninth overall, there must be better players here, right? <laughs> if he came from Newfoundland and he didn't dominate, I mean, he was real good, but so, that's what happened. So my dad took a team. That's funny. We went out to that tournament. We tied 6-6. And usually I've played national championships with, with Newfoundland in, in soccer, ball hockey, baseball, and ice hockey. And in, most of the time, we play the host the first game. So the host can win 8-1. to one. Everybody gets a free hot dog, and the place goes home with those <laughs> Newfoundlanders. Newfoundlanders try hard, right? But Vancouver thought that was going to happen, but no one had ever seen us or rated us. They knew everybody else. We went out there and fucking tied them 6-6 six, six on a goal off my back, about 10 seconds left, right in front of the net. And immediately right after the game, scouts were into the room. I remember not knowing. They're like, where did these fucking guys come from? They'd never seen them, right? There's, so, and we went through. We didn't win a game, but we didn't get blown out. We tied three games. We lost 6-5. The Northern Alberta, Shane Doan, Chris Dingman, Vern Beardy. Um, we, we, and the last game, we brawled Manitoba. We got killed that one. Brawled them. Didn't give a fuck. Bunch of exactly Newfoundlanders with their lunch pail. Ten guys ended up going. Ten guys went either school junior kurt walsh went in the third round of the buffalo sabers um you know i went eighth overall two guys went straight to notre dame it was unbelievably successful then the next year danny cleary took my dad's advice and went to belleville and the rest is history then came ryan clo and michael Ryder and adam party and luke adam and the, the, the floodgates were open then so i i know that well, well, you know, everything that Terry, we did, I think, I think was for a reason, right? Like the, the way it worked out is that a lot of people benefited from my dad's decision. You know, the Terry, funny thing, the oh, funny ahead, thing when you mentioned that, Terry, is that like, I mean, obviously a small island like Newfoundland and Prince Edward Island. But if you look at the players per capita that played yeah. in the National Hockey League, it's pretty damn high. Yeah, I, really is PEI yeah. as well. Pe see, it's sneaky. People don't realize that I name those names and people go, oh yeah, I guess I'm like, yeah, now think about it, right? Like yeah. it's easy to talk Toronto and all that area and even Edmonton. And I got a huge respect for those places that are the hockey meccas of the world and certain parts of Europe, but for, for per capita, right? Our Atlantic yeah. provinces do pretty fucking well.
Yeah. So, Terry, I just want to go back to um, like, so you're playing tier two. Uh, the draft, yeah. the Bantam draft comes up. You get taken by Tri Cities. For the listeners, by the way, he was taken third overall. Mike McBain and uh, Wade Redden were taken in front of him. So, a couple of pretty good players there. Yeah. So, you're yeah. on your way. You win rookie of the year, most improved player of the following year, 110 point season, including 50 goals, 102 points, minutes, penalty minutes, which I don't suspect were, uh, you know, or a couple hundred penalty minutes, pardon me. I suspect they weren't a hundred, hundred uh, tripping calls. So no. <laughs> the question we asked most players coming on, you yeah. talked about your first fight with the hot sauce. Did you make a conscious decision to cross over to all of a sudden you have to be way more physical and fighting was going to be a part of your game? Because as you know, Terry, once you cross that line, there's no going yeah. back. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good point. Um, part of it. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack with me mentally when it comes to fighting, because even in Quinnell, those early years, I don't remember. I think one year I had, I think one of those years I had over 200 minutes. I remember, and it was just me being a fucking at the end of the game, you know, like say what you want. I didn't like being told to fight. It happened a little bit later. We'll get to that with Michelle Terrian and everything, but there was always something in me, the schoolyard Newfoundlander that (laughs) there's a re and there was a reason, right? Someone would spray the goalie or someone would, and I always felt a little bit like it was a slap in my face a little bit, even though if we had three tough guys on the bench, I would always find. And then I went to the Western League and I realized it's something in the toolbox that not everybody had. And I don't mean that I was a great fighter. I became a decent fighter because of how much I did it. But I really didn't care about eating a few. I, I, I didn't care. And I noticed that because of that, I could fight players that were much bigger than me. And all I had to do was stand in there and there would be a win. I didn't like, I just had Andrew Shaw on my podcast earlier. He'll be out tomorrow. And, you know, there's something there, same thing. And he he told me Mm -hmm. a story about his first camp and you can't make yourself go score. Some people can almost get there if they're super duper stars. But for me, it would put me at ease a little bit because I felt a bit of pressure to score. I was always that big prospect that was supposed to do it and for the most part did. But if I was ever like having a, mediocre game or even a bad I, I i'd run a guy and back then there was I, I really honestly didn't cheap shot a lot i didn't run goalies but there was enough of a reason there was always a tough guy going around and i remember little thing like i remember fought wade belak and, and you know it was a real good fight and it was at home and it was just kind of you know I, I just remember that having an impact and i didn't really beat him but you know what I mean? He's Wade Belak. So if I can just sit in there and do all right, it's a bit of a win. It's all about momentum. Do you really want yeah. to get into a hockey fight and break the guy's orbital bone? Not really. It's all about momentum for the team and for you and for the fans. And if you can combine that, and I knew I could. I always knew, you know, like Aaron Asham you mentioned. You know, I always loved Ash for that. He could go out and give the fans their money's worth in a fight. He might yeah. not win every one, but he ain't going down early. And if you leave him on the ice, he might score. He's pretty good, right? So yeah. it, it over time, I realized that given that I was pretty good at it, and I became, I, I wasn't great at winning, but I knew how not to lose, right? And you know, there's, yeah, there's the, to that. did anybody ever like talk to you about that when you went there? Or because I remember when I went to the WHA, John Brophy was our coach, yeah, I bet. a legendary Anaganish uh, gentleman, and and he he made it pretty clear to me that. Hey kid, if you're not going to stand up for yourself, they're going to run you out of the goddamn league. Yeah. And so my first year in Birmingham at 19 years old, I had 248 penalty minutes and 26 goals and, you know, 50 some points, but I knew I had to stick up for myself. That was, that's the most impressive stat that stands out to me by yourself. By the way, a lot of people don't realize you had that many penalty minutes. I, I was actually jarred when I saw it. We were on, we were driving through Newfoundland and I knew you, I'm not saying that I didn't know you could pick up for yourself, but that's, that's bordering on goon territory. That's crazy. <laughs> put up almost 30 with that. That's respect. Um, yeah, man. And I know I, I know how that goes. And you know, what's funny side note, in the Western League, when I played in the West to curb fighting, I can't remember the name of the president of the league, maybe Ed Shanaweth maybe at the time, but they, they didn't allow 10-minute misconduct. So my 207 minutes in my draft year doesn't count 10s. And how many line brawls and everything would be a 10? That would have been 300 and something. I remember even 
I remember being at the draft going, what the fuck? That's not fair. Like, <laughs> you know, like guys from the Quebec League that are getting 200 minutes are a lot different than the guys in the Western League that are getting 200 minutes. Literally no 10 minute in any case was counted. Only twos and fives. Really? And I couldn't believe it. Yeah. When I first got drafted, I'm 14 years old. And they would bring me down to see the odd game. And this guy, Kerry Toporowski. So mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year, they would take everybody in and tell us, you know, and, and we, I didn't warm up with the other team either. It changed. But during my time in the WHL, we weren't allowed because there were so many brawls before the game to warm up with the other team. So if we went into <laughs> Seattle, for example, we'd warm up at six o'clock with a seven o'clock game. Then we'd get off at 620. We'd all ride the bike or whatever. Then they'd go on and have their full ice warm up, full ice power play, three on two, both ways. And then, uh, yeah, craziness. And then um, they'd come on and you'd go out and, and, and play the game. What was the same? It was the same sort of thing. So Kerry Toporowski had 515 minutes. He broke the record oh God, anyway, Jesus. anyway, with no tens counted. He you broke know, the record funny. anyway. So you had to navigate, man. Yeah. You just had to. There was no way I saw it as getting out of this. With that, and I didn't want to be scared all the time. I wanted room. It's room in the, you know, mm -hmm. I got 50 goals in my draft year. They weren't, many of them, many of them weren't coming in. I didn't have an overpowering shot. I think it was accurate. I mean, I did get there by being a prospect that could score. I'm not taking that away. But I'm saying a lot of my goals in the WHA come from going in front of the net and just putting in having that extra second of respect that yep. the other person didn't and getting my stick on that puck. Whereas yep. someone else might not, might, you know what I mean, Rick, right? Huh? It, that's yep. a lot of them. I mean, I, I know you've got a wicked shot. You still got a great shot, but if you didn't have that net front presence, there's no way you would have scored as many goals. And I'm not no, shitting you're you. Right. The last yep. goal you scored for us in Springdale was, that was uh, old school Rick Vive, right up under the bar. You got it in the slot <laughs> once in a while, once in a while you find yourself like right in that sunshine that halo that's looking down and you just found yourself wide open in the slot and did what everybody in the building wanted you to do <laughs> now terry you mentioned your draft year what kind of talk were you hearing about who may take you who may not take you where you go and secondly the second part of that question your father how big of an influence i mean the obvious part he would be an influence but how big of an influence would he be on that in guiding you that year especially after having gone through it himself yeah he was there if I ever asked a question, he didn't really sway me or like he wasn't an Eric Lindros kind of good or bad. I love Eric Lindros. I'm saying his yeah. dad was a big part of his decisions because he might even have been his agent. I had Mike Barnett again, which was Gretzky's agent. So dad respected that. He came out and, and, and visited a lot. And there are little things like, you know, that Mike didn't know. Like if you're in a dressing room, like picking up the pucks after practice, like always be the last off the ice. And you'll get addicted to that. Like, and you know, there are a lot of things That's that he what said. I meant. stuff like that. Yeah. That's well, nice. that fantastic that he was there for those things. Show the respect, veterans respect. Cause there's a few times in the hockey hierarchy early on, on the bus, I nearly, I wanted to spit in their face. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not pick up the, you pick him up, you fucker, but you know, <laughs> yeah. no, you do that, right? There's, there's just a rite of passage that you got to go through what everybody yeah. else. Does. So for those little things, I'm glad that I had him. Um, but in my, it, it, here's a, here's a, here's a great way. To explain it, we were we being me and my father and my my friends, we were only used to me being a, a very very big pro, you know, like I said, third overall in the draft, and to be honest, yeah yeah, it, it, it near nearly went first. I ended up going to Red Deer anyway, but they called and I I didn't want to go there. I said, there's no way I'm going. I'm out here to go to Tri Cities, so I was a big point being. I was used to being a big prospect who had a lot of expectations, okay, that could score, yep. and that was the number one thing. Fair it was enough. nice that I could fight and everything, but it was scoring. But And I got to Tri-Cities, and my first year, uh, looking back, I think it felt like a bit of a disappointment, but I had 33 points. I played 61 games, I think, so I missed 12 or 13. I played 61 games. I think I had 33 points and 176 penalty minutes, again, without 10. So I... I thought that's a pretty good year, you know, and next year, maybe I can turn this into a point of game. I know my name was being thrown out. I was on a prospect card collection, so I don't really know, but I know I wasn't rated in the first round yet. Might have been knocking on the door. I think someone would have said, you know, he's safely going to go in the fourth round, maybe. Um, but I went back the second year. Now, first year, like I said, we did a team. It also benefited me. We had a team that didn't make the playoffs, or I think we made it on the last day. We didn't have a good team. So I played a lot at 16, but third line, the odd power play, not many penalty kill every time. 
So then I'm 17. Now, this guy came out of nowhere, Damon Lankow. So I come in with all these expectations. Lanks is a year older than me, hockey-wise, but got a late birthday. So we were both going in the draft. Now, we're both going into our draft year. He's played yep. two years. I played one. And Lanks was unbelievably quick and agile. So I knew it. Without saying it, I was a bit stubborn. And my coach knew it. And I know my father knew it. Not that he would ever point me, but, you know, in a direction. But I remember Bob Laux was my coach, and he called me in, and he just said, look, you're not as good of a skater as Damon. So you can be the second-line centerman here. But I think you can play wing. I think Damon's a bit feisty. You're a better fighter than he is. You're a little bit bigger. You're a great passer. You can set him up. He's the better scorer of you two, and he was. Like, I had 50 that year. Not a lot of people did. Lanks ended up with 67. Oh, right? boy. Only five or Jeez. six in the league. So he was telling the truth, though. It's, I didn't want to hear it all. But I'm yeah. like, so you're asking me to be a left winger with a guy who's a better scorer and skater than I am. And, you know, I, it took a little bit of pride, but, you know, swallowing my pride. But I, looking back, it was such a selfish thought because we complemented each other really well. I ended up going left wing with Damon. And the year before, I think he had, I don't know, 70 points. He was 17. I, like I said, I had 33. Well, he goes up to 140, leads the league in scoring. <laughs> I go from 16 goals to 50. Uh, and we both, both, it, it was a unique combo because we could both fight as well. So the our coach had to harness us in a little bit from that, right? Was, so it, it really worked out. And, and we lost in that year in six games to Kamloops, who ended up winning the Memorial Cup, and they won nine to one against Brian Berard and the Plymouth, I think it was, or Detroit Junior Red Wings. And, so, and they, they just went through it like a knife through butter through the playoffs, other than against us and against Brandon. And looking back, we had a young team, and I believe Damon and I tied for the league lead in, in the playoffs with Tucker, and we didn't even make the final. So personally, it was an obvious success, but it really did feel like a team success. You know, yep. you guys have seen and probably played on teams that you don't win the championship, but it does feel like a bit of a team success. Like we won two rounds to get there. Um, a lot of us were in our draft year. A lot of us just made the team and wanted to stay in Major Junior. If all of us leave and we've all accomplished something, you know, and, and the team we lost to was the best in the nation, it really did, like, it felt like a successful year as a team. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the warm-up situation. because I, <laughs> I remember I went to the Memorial Cup my first year in Sherbrooke. New West was there. Ottawa was there. So the first game we played New West, they New West ended up being Tri Cities. Sorry, go ahead. Well, they're literally skating in to our blue line. Yeah, yeah. And and we're like sitting, you know, skating around, going, "What the hell?" And then Mike Breen, who is from Boston, who is a pretty tough guy, who played with us, he went up to one of the guys and said, "If you guys don't get out of our zone, I'm gonna bite your goddamn nose off." <laughs> <laughs> And they did. They backed off. And, All uh, intimidation tactics. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, now we didn't win any games, but um, it, it was a great experience to play in the Memorial Cup. And it was in Vancouver, uh, so yeah, that was that was pretty good. But New West were so big and, and strong and tough. Well, and given that time, right? It was so it wasn't that much later. Like it was, you know, that I that I came into the mix and everything I was looking at was coming from the eighties and. You know, I guess my first year major junior was 93, 94. Technically, I played games in 92, 93, and in 91, 92, I'm in Quinnell. So I guess looking back, why did I go out west? Like, I was just drawing from that. Like, it seemed to be the the, the junior league that was most in sync with the NHL at the time. Mm -hmm. it, it went back the other way. I, I would never say it now. At times, the west looks like dinosaurs. And, you know, the Q, Crosby came. It really expanded all these Atlantic cities that had AHL teams now got Q teams really embraced it. A lot of great places for players to play junior. You know, I endorse it all. It's fucking great if you can just play major junior. But at the time for me, it was uh, Western League. Now, Terry, this is a point for the draft where Squid and I, we do this with every player. And it's where you look for the interview. The interview is always a big mm -hmm. part of the process, even more today than it was maybe back in Squid's day. But 
You know, we've had some. We, we didn't stories. have interviews, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And we've had some pretty decent stories. I'll just share one we've shared with the listeners before, but we want to pass this one along to Terry. Ethan Morrow is kind of probably at the top when he was called in by the Boston Bruins. And now he had all the scouts around the room, and Harry Sin looked across the desk at him and said, If you're a play for the Boston Bruins, what number do you want to wear? And he said it pretty harshly. And without missing a beat, Ethan Morrow said, Four or eight. Oh, yeah, really? And Harry Sinnott says, That's great. Great answer. Fuck, get the fuck out of my room right now. And all the guys are trying not to laugh. Well, you've got a Mike Milbury story, I think, that tops that. Okay. And by the way, I'm sorry, earlier I ignored, because your, your original question was, did I have any inkling I was going to Montreal? So yeah, the, oh, answer yeah. was, the answer was actually no. So getting into this, this is my final interview. I'll tell you this story, okay? Yeah. Technically, my final two. And I was interviewed... I think there was 26 teams in the league. I don't think there was 32 then. Um, and I I was interviewed by almost every team. The only two teams, I believe, I could be off by one or two, but I think it was Detroit and Montreal that didn't interview me at all. In fact, in fact, on the way to the draft, in the elevator on the draft day, going to my seat, um, Doug Robinson was Montreal's head scout and Pierre Mondu were in there and we were in the elevator and Doug looked over at me and he said, you know, a lot of goals, a lot of penalty minutes played real hard and really gave me my props. And I was very encouraged and I was like, wow, the, the Habs like me. And then he said, great Memorial cup, great Memorial cup. I'm going great Memorial cup. And my dad looks at me and goes, he thinks you're Shane Doan. <laughs> oh, okay and i just went with it i go yeah thanks a lot 15 minutes later they draft me right it's wild uh, but anyway so the day before this so my agent calls and for those that don't know there's you know a vetting process all these teams some of them i mean washington and dallas actually flew me down after the season and before the draft the draft it was a lockout year was july 8th that year so i don't remember but it was april may june one of the they would fly they flew me down so i knew that there were some teams that were real interested yeah and i remember in tri-city some teams flew out some of them had paperwork i remember washington they did have a pretty big interview process uh with jack button who was alive at the time craig button's father and um and, and more but i just remember him being there he was an old guy and really knew a lot about hockey so there they, they they took me through a process, but there was also like, it was almost like an IQ test. Like if a train leaves from point A at this time <laughs> and point B, it, it was it was that. It was like SAT kind of thing. So there was a, a few teams that did that. And some were just an interview over the phone. I remember New Jersey was at the, we, our draft was in Edmonton. So when I got to the draft, probably half of them were at the draft. I got there, I went to the room. They literally wanted me to take my clothes off, not like naked. It wasn't a sexual thing. It sounds like... <laughs> But it was going to take your clothes off, take a picture of me, and then ask me, like, what other sports I was into as I was putting on my clothes. And then I said, okay, get out. I was like, and they ended up taking Peter Sakura, who was like six foot 130. So I don't know what the picture was of the physique had anything to do with whatever. I mean, he's a great player. But it was just weird. Anyway, other teams said, you like, ride, do the VO2 test again, even though we'd already done it. It was just a weird kind of format. Uh, it was like the Wild West. Like, I think now there's more of an organization to it. But anyway, my, my agent was Mike Barnett. And like I said, it was in Edmonton. And Damon Lankow, who was my line mate I spoke of, he ended yeah. up going fifth overall. I went eighth. Brian Boucher, there he is, uh, our goalie, went 22nd. So we were all rated in the first round. We were all represented by IMG. And we were all there together. Now, combine that with half of my team being from Tri-City. Sheldon Surrey is one of my best friends. He was drafted the year before from Edmonton. Um, Brant Myers was there. He was his good buddy, and I knew Brant. Like, it, it was a celebration of the Western League. So, and my, I do have relatives that live out West. So it was a very, 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 very busy time. So when Mike called us and asked us, and he said, you know, Damon and Terry, will you do these last two interviews? So Lanx was already, he's actually from Vegreville. And he was already halfway out there. And he's like, no, man, I, you know, I've done them all, Mike. I don't want to turn around. I think if, if he had to, he would have. I'm not saying he had a bad attitude, but Lanx just wasn't into it. And I was staying right there at the Crown Plaza. And I, I remember I'd already left the hotel, but I was like, okay. So I, I got out wherever we went, senior frogs or uh, cowboys, wherever. And I, I took a cab back and walked in. So the funny thing is, the funny thing is I'd had a couple of beers before this, <laughs> but a bit of, and, you know, 
I didn't say anything. I don't think they cared. It was a different time. And I guess we were 18. You could be 18 and drink in Alberta. You still can't. So, but anyway, it was that. It was the end of a long road. So I went back. Okay, it was a favorite of Mike Barnett more than anything. And I didn't want to be that prospect. I'm like, the day that I turned down an interview with an NHL team is a fucking day I should fucking take the skates off. Of course, I'm going to go back. So I walked in and I'm in the New York Islanders room. So it's like, you know, it's a business kind of boardroom kind of table, like a big oval. You know, there's probably five seats on each side and then a head at one side and a head at the other. So there's no one in either head. So I, I sit on the far head of the table. Where else am I going to sit? Right? So these guys are and it's an adjoining room. It appears to me there's nobody in the other room, whatever. So we're talking and these scouts are on the side and lining the sides of the table it's full they're looking at me they're really pumping my tires in fact i'm like this isn't an interview at all they're just telling me how good i am right it was like well <laughs> you know you can really fight and you you know what's your favorite pass that i have one before a game because you seem to have a lot of energy like every single question is almost bent into my favor so much it's starting to feel almost uncomfortable like something i'm like something's gonna happen here <laughs> something's gonna give so then i hear it I hear the footsteps coming from the adjoining room, right? And I, Mike Milbury walks in. Of course, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not even, I don't even know that I thought about it on the way in that he's the GM. Um, but, um, you know, there's just a lot going on. So I sat down, or, or sorry, I'm sat down. So he comes in, walks around the table, sits down, tells me, he says, well, I think you're faster with the puck than without it. Now, I, I thought that might have been another compliment. It turns out it wasn't. But then he, he stands up again after saying it. He walks around, walks around the table, and then he puts. His, he nearly sits down, but he's looking at me. And every time he gets back to the head of the table, he's looking at me in the eyes. And he, this time he's like almost kneeling on his chair, and he looks over and he said, "Well, I think you got lucky against Wade Belak. You know, I think he and I, and by, by by the way, I didn't win that fight. So if he's saying I got lucky, it means that." nine out of ten you'd get your face broken in i don't know what but i mean it was just a fairly good fight right it was a long one but i certainly didn't win it so i'm starting to go jesus you know okay but i did do all right and here we are now which brings me to this moment i guess we can speculate i'm thinking in my head all day if we want and then he says what's well, a good thing damon lankow played with you this year and i said well with all due respect, Mr. Melbury, I think it's a good thing he played with me. He went from 75 <laughs> points to 140. You know, I mean, come on. You don't think I set him up for those? I mean, last year he had 26 goals. He had 67 this year. I, I assisted on 41 of them. Is that good? Is that good? So, so <laughs> without, but I do, I do say that, but not, not in a sarcastic way, but I did yeah. say that. I said, you know, I, I think he benefited from playing with me. And then he said something else. And I said, with all due, Respect, Mr. Milbury. You're picking number one where I know I'm not going. And you're picking number 28 where I sure as fuck know I'm not going. I'm going to fall somewhere comfortably in the middle. Now, keep in mind, I had a few beers in me. I'm going to fall somewhere comfortably in the middle. I mean, unless, unless things get way out of hand, I'm just looking at it. Not Unless I get arrested tonight. Like I'm looking at the hockey news. I'm rated number 12. I'm having great meetings with everybody. I know what's happening. I'm not going number 28. I sure as fuck I'm not going number one. So, like, why am I even here? He goes, okay, tough guy, which was true, too. I remember thinking that in the cab. Why am I even going to the Islanders meeting? Yeah. So, um, he says, okay, tough guy. He looks at me. He gives me a hypothetical. He says, you're in Tri-Cities. You in Langkow, is it? He goes, you hoodlums. Calls us hoodlums. <laughs> he says, you, um, you're out one night with a couple of girls. I think he called them broads too. Like just the weirdest interview with a GM. And he says, okay, and you've been hot tubbing and, you know, things are going great. Lanks leaves with his girl at 1030. But he said, now the girl you're with, it's 10 to 11. It's a 10 minute drive home. Your curfew's at 11, but she's on the couch. She spreads her legs and says, fuck me, Terry. What do you do? And now I've been calling him Mr. Milbury right up to that point. I took my water and I went, well, Mike, I fuck her for five minutes and then I speed home. <laughs> and I swear to you, I swear to you, half the table I could tell started laughing. Like one guy really out loud. And a lot of them just put their head the other way. And he just said, go on or, or get out. He goes, Aaron, have you done? Now, the funny thing is. When I got up and walked towards the doorway, I didn't realize in the doorway, 
Phil Esposito was standing there, which was weird because he was the GM of, of Tampa Bay, but he'd played with Melbury on the Bruins, I think. So I guess they must have known each other anyway. But I just found it weird. But, but when I when I was walking towards the door, so Esposito starts laughing. And he said, what did you say again? And I told him on the way over, because he had a room like maybe five, maybe 50 feet down the same hall. So we leave the honors room. We're walking. I'm with him and his brother, Tony, who are going to do my interview now, my last one technically with Tampa Bay. And he's laughs, and I tell him what I just told Milbury, and he's fucking howling. And he sits down, and he goes, okay, I got one question for you. How, part, how far apart did Napoleon sleep from his wife? And I said, Phil, a Bonaparte. I was, the only thing I knew about Napoleon was his last name was, was Bonaparte. That's it. <laughs> so that's all my head. My head, it sounded like a smart answer, but it's all I knew. I went, a Bonaparte, Phil. He goes, you just won yourself a drink and a snack. What do you want? There's like a bunch of shit there. So I took it. And he goes, I got to be honest. I'm not going to pick you. He goes, you're just not quite a good enough skater and work picking fifth. But he goes, I love your, your buddy Lanka. What kind of a guy is he? And I said, well, he's a great guy. You know, I trust him. He goes, what kind of a fucking guy is he? Would you, you got, you, would he rat on you? You bang someone's girlfriend. Would you talk like what happens? So you, you're on the bus and you've had a beer. Would he tell the coach like that? And I go, okay. I said, no, man, I trust him with anything. He said, fucking rights. He goes, what do you have any questions for me? And I asked him about the 72 Canada cup for an hour and he answered all of it. And I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. We had a great time. I was like, thank God I came back to these meetings. <laughs> so now Terry, when, when, the, when the call finally came and it was Montreal, now being a down Easterner, you must've been a bit of a Habs fan. So I would, I would gather that was. was probably your team. So, mm-hmm. What was the first team. thing that went through your mind when your name got called by those guys? You kind of maybe had a, no inkling, so it must have been no a inkling, none. And that was eight, and number nine was Boston. I thought I was going to Boston because I had great meetings with them. <laughs> and I remember after it happened, I remember them saying to me, whoever they picked, they were going to give a chance that year to kind of get their feet wet. It ended up being Kyle McLaren. And they said they loved the name, the Irish name, and – Again, I, I don't want to compare myself because it's two different things, but Cam Neely was one of my favorite players, and they figured that if I just brought that style with the name Ryan, they said, you know, it's a, it's a good place to be in So I thought that I was going to Boston, and then my meetings with Dallas went incredibly, incredible. So I knew I wasn't going any later than 11. I knew that. But I figured 9 or 11. Like, I wasn't even really yeah. paying attention. But we saw, we saw the cameras started coming down to me, right? Like... You know, the the the, um, the cameras on, like, the pulleys that are coming from the seat. Like, so they went over to the Canadian's table, and then they came right over to me. So, like, within seconds of them calling my name, I kind of knew that they were going to do it. And it was it was all, I don't know what to say. I know that happens all the time now, but see, my, my hands are around. It's Andre Boudria and Doug Robinson, who about a half hour before thought I was Shane Doan. But I remember that didn't happen a lot at the time. Now it happened. But I remember I, I hugged them both. And I was just, for me, it was more of a team journey, I think, than most other people there. Because I'm the only Newfoundlander to play in the Western League. I know that my, my parents got a lot of shit. I mean, you know, not from everybody, but it seemed like an odd move to take me out there and play junior. And I'd come home with black eyes and the summer. It was almost like... A lot of people thought my dad was like child abuse. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 14, right? I'm 14. I'm out there playing and fighting and what, but you know, you know, and they didn't ever make me do it or anything else, but it just fell in all those, you know, as a young prospect and you're scoring a lot and you're from a small place. A lot of people wanted to see me fail. And, you know, a lot of people wanted to see me succeed. It's the extremes, but it all came through. I remember it all just, it was a flood of emotions. I was like, you know, everything has led me to this moment. And, you know, the only NHL jersey I had growing up was Montreal Canadiens with Chris Nyland on the back. Before I even, there it is, that has Nyland on the back. Uh, only, <laughs> you know, from from being, again, I never thought, and when you're looking at that picture, never, ever did I think I was going to play in the NHL. I was just a hockey fan, and it almost seemed unrealistic from Newfoundland. There was nobody in the 80s from Newfoundland played. <laughs> okay, so now, Terry, you're a high selection by an iconic yeah. franchise. Yeah. You're a fan, so you had some, as you just talked about, so you had some idea looking from the outside what this team is about and what it stands for and what it represents to the people of Quebec and mm-hmm. so on. When you arrived and you got enthralled in it, was it as you expected, way above, or <laughs> anything else? It was what I expected. Not that it wasn't overwhelming, but it, it, yeah. it was what I expected. Um, 
And, you know, a lot of people complain about it. <laughs> it's funny. I, I really kind of enjoyed it. I, I, um, I didn't know what it would be like, but I, I felt, you know how some people need to go to the gym, they need a personal trainer with them? Yeah. Or they don't do the work. I'm not saying I always worked hard. It was one of my better attributes, but I liked being held under the gun. I liked having to go to the rink early and being held accountable by Saku Koivu or Vincent Damfus or just the Montreal in general. Like I wouldn't let myself be a first round pick and show up less than prepared. You know, like it, it really, and I know the way things worked out, but in the end, there's more to it. I felt really accepted. I really enjoyed being a Montreal Canadian. I was treated very well there. I mean, I ended up having a bit of a falling out with them because of Michelle Therrien, really. And I, you know, that was another lifetime ago. But when I first got there, yeah, they really made me feel great. I, I remember um, the guys who drafted me, right, Serge Savard and Jacques Demers, but they got fired like three months later after the Patrick Waugh incident. But I remember before it, so I, I went through camp and I played as hard as I possibly could. And that's what I said earlier, like, you know, how having the fighting in the tank in, in the toolbox was good because I remember I wasn't scoring. But, you know, there's no denying a fucking 18 year old is out there fighting Ty Domi in Maple Leaf Gardens and fighting Donald Brashear. Clearly, it's not a balls thing. Right. And I just wanted to show them I work hard. And I did that. I hit everything that moved. <laughs> I ended up getting some dirty goals. And so Demers gave me a couple games. Uh, one in the Montreal Forum, and then one against the Leafs. I ended up fighting Domi. Well, but, tell that, Terry, stop right there and tell that story about Domi because you made a promise to your buddies, and I think I, I think that's a pretty funny story. Well, that that was it. I never again for me, I I never really got over the fact that this is the NHL, man. This is wild, and it never felt personal. It was all my buddies and I growing up on the again because it just didn't seem like a possibility. It wasn't like I was growing up in Collingwood, Ontario saying, you know, I'm going to, I would have loved it. I'm not saying I didn't kind of visualize it. Yeah, I get it. I just didn't see me playing in the NHL. And it just felt like this journey. And, you know, even in the Western League, I had buddies like back before, you know, they were making money and stuff, like just saving up every dollar to come out and see me play one game in (laughs) Lethbridge or something. And so it always, I felt like this incredible journey that I was taking. So before that first camp, now the drafts in July this year because of the lockout or the year I got drafted, July 8th, which was my parents' anniversary. So it was a big deal. So I came home from that and they had a big party for me. Well, we were going to have a party anyway. It was Friday <laughs> going into last year of high school uh, for the boys. And uh, I guess I would have been just done high school. So anyway, and I was really, like, it, the, the topic came up. You know, Leafs, Habs, Leafs, Habs. And, you know, half of us were Habs fans, half of us Leafs. And it just came up. My buddy Blair Connolly said, well, you know, I bet you wouldn't fight Ty Domi. I said, definitely. And there was a girl there, Jillian Chipman, who's now married to my good friend Steve Steve Holiday, but I didn't want to let her down. I was hot for Jill. And I was like, you know, well, of course I will. You know, of course. And, of course, another rum and coke. I'm like 18, of course. Oh, yeah, fuck, definitely. In fact, I'm going to initiate it. And by the end of the party, I'm like calling my shot on Ty Domi. I just don't think it's going to happen. I'm like, I'm going to go to camp. Best case scenario, I get into like a few inter-squad games and I go back to junior and everybody forgot about this by the time I'm 21 and I actually play against them. But uh, So anyway, Demers comes to me and he said, you're, he said, I know you're, you're a big hockey historian. And because I was in awe, I remember going to like, I'd go to practice like five hours early and not because I was a dedicated player because I wanted to walk through the tunnels and see the alumni room. And yeah. I wanted to see where like these great players worked out and won cups and stuff. Right. And and I think they picked up on that. So Demers came down and he had a smile. He put his arms around me and he said, look, you can go back and play your home opener. Uh, and then the, you, there was home opener was Saturday. You can play Friday in Spokane, your home opener with tri cities on Saturday or you can stay here and you can play tonight in, in Montreal Forum and, it, and, and you can play tomorrow night in Maple Leaf Gardens. And not only was that significant because it was the Leafs and the Habs, but it was and in, at home we were playing Boston. So I'm like, fuck, I get to play the Bruins and the Leafs. Uh, but it was in the NHL rinks. It was at the very end of exhibition. Yeah. And uh, it also, a lot of, it, it was 
a lot of my buddies, for whatever reason, I can't remember, but we're going to be at both games. Part of it because they wanted to come see me play, but there was something yeah. going on in, in Toronto, whatever it would be. So I was like, you know, of course I'm going to say yes. I remember going, of course. But then it immediately dawned on me that I'd be playing against Taidomi. So I played that night, and I didn't know what to do. My first NHL game was that game at home, and I was so nervous. It's a blur. But I remember Demers just going, just go out and work hard and work hard. And I did. And I he put me with Turjan and Recky. And I remember saying, who who fights on the other team? Again, I was never one to initiate it. But I knew that this was a chance to go out and impress. And so there was a guy, Steve Leach, and he was 32 years old. I was mm-hmm. he, he was going for a contract, another contract. And Odeline told me, and he goes, just, you know, just sniff around him and he's going to go you. And um, he was skating one way right in front of the bench. And I kind of slashed his ankles. I felt bad about it because, again, I'm not that guy. But he turned around, he was giving me eye contact, and we fought right in front of the bench. Boom, the last punch, I knock him down, and I wasn't even used to that. I'm used to just going, I can't believe it happened. I can't believe it happened. It's out there somewhere on YouTube. And the last punch, actually, you can see, I, 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 like I broke my, my knuckles here, so my last punch, actually, I do this. I was full of adrenaline. He goes down. I'm like, holy shit. And the next shift, I get out of the box. That's when he put me out with Turjan and Recky, and I finish my hits, and then Recky throws it out of the corner bounces off my body into the net i got i can't i can't believe this i'm like thank fuck i'm not on a plane back to fucking spokane right now like i just scored in the forum and i got i want to fight and that game he said well you're definitely not going back you're playing maple leaf gardens tomorrow night so we got there and um it was great odeline and keen and uh and fucking mark recce all took me out for a bite to eat they were laughing they had a great time with it and then I told them, and I don't think they took me seriously. I remember being on the plane. I don't think anybody with Turner Stevenson, I don't think he believed it. And uh, I, I got up, and I just knew it that morning. We went for pregame skate. I told everybody. Again, I don't think anybody believed me. For anybody that was in the old Maple Leaf Gardens, you'll remember this. Right on the way out of the visitor's dressing room, there was a pay phone against the wall right there. Yeah. And I remember, and they were all behind me. They were letting me go first because rookie, and I fought the night before and scored the goal. And I dialed zero with the mom and dad. I go, mom, 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 put dad on the other phone. They got there. I said, I'm fighting Ty Domi tonight. I remember her going, no, you're not. <laughs> and I hung up the phone and I went out for warm up. Now, again, in my warm ups in junior, there are no other teams. So the only games that I've ever warmed up at this point are that game and the game right before it against Boston that the other team's actually on the ice. So I went right out next to the red line. I got down to stretch. I saw other guys were over there kind of doing their veteran chat. And I just went over and Domi was there. I said, hey, do you want to fight tonight? And he said, who wants to fight me? Stevenson, Rive, Thornton? I go, no, I do. And he goes, I'm not fighting an 18-year-old um, from Newfoundland full of piss and vinegar. I said, how do you know who I am? He goes, I'm fucking tied on me. I do my homework. And uh, <laughs> I went, and so he said no. And again, this is on YouTube. I'm not making it up. Not that I would, but there's no exaggeration here. I went on. So I thought about it again. Again, I'm not that guy to go out and like, headhunt Matthew Schneider or Doug Gilmore. But the whistle went, Schneider was there, and I knew Domi was on the ice, so I kind of hit him in the shoulder just to let him know, I, and I knew. I, I I mean, I could smell it. And and Domi came, pulled me out of the pile and proceeded to shit-kick me. But I, I'll give him credit. The first punch, he knocked me straight down, and then I got up, and guys, I hadn't put much thought into it <laughs> about how great of a left hand he had, and I'd never thrown lefts. And I remember halfway through like looking down and i remember like it flashed through my head i'm learning to throw my left with tied omi at maple leaf gardens on the emblem like this is the weirdest thing you know because in junior you just kind of go i didn't know what i was doing but we went pretty good and i hit him with the first couple of lefts i ever remember hitting anybody with were tied omi and then he got me down at the end of it when we got to the penalty box he looked over and he said thanks a lot for fighting me i said i thought you didn't want to fight he goes look man no one wants to fight me at home and I went, why? And as soon as I said, why does no one want to fight you at home? Like Gilmore scored. And he said, ah, because we get all the momentum. And he laughed. And then I ended up, I won't say where, but he told me to meet him after the game. I went to this place and he wasn't there, but there was a little spot. And he had, there was some Grey Goose and I can't remember what other drinks, but there was some drinks late laying there for us, a little velvet rope. And me and my buddies, again, from high school, Blair Connolly, who brought it up in his backyard, <laughs> me, him, and guy jason foot and i think greg dunn buddies from high school we went over there and we drank gray goose on tied it was a fucking great memory now didn't you call the school 
and announced to the school that you were going to because your buddies called you out yeah, on it? I did. I called O'Donnell and I said, uh, I believe it was Mr. Kylie, I think was the principal. I didn't really know him personally, but uh, I phoned and you know how they do the announcements before yeah. school. I said, the game's on TV tonight and uh, I'm going to do it. I'm fighting Ty Dome and he laughed. He, so he knew me. I mean, he's from Mount Pearl. I didn't know him that well. I said, put it on the announcements. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm going to fight Ty Domi tonight. <laughs> I swear to you, it's going to happen. At least I'm going to try. I said, okay, Terry. Anyway, threw it on the announcements, and lo and behold, it happened. And you know what's <laughs> funny, guys? The next year, he spun me around as I was skating back, back checking, and it yeah. was one nothing for us. Probably a bad time for me to fight Ty Domi, but... I just, I, I, it was a code. He just spun me around and said, you owe me one. I said, okay. So I fought him again. And then oddly enough, later that game, he like hit Koivu down by the net. And I was the only one close to it. I fought him again. So I fought him three times. And then it'll, you know, I know it's a long story, but I got to tell this part. In 2007, my friends were graduating from St. Mary's. And I went up there and I believe it was a, a golf tournament in the summer, Bubbles, I think his name is Mike Smith with Trailer Park Boys. He was mm -hmm. having this golf tournament for charity. And Domi was there, and he was in this bar, and I, I, I was going to go. My buddies were like, go talk to Ty Domi, and I still think he wouldn't remember me. But anyway, I didn't, and he left, but he sent over a note. I guess it got back to him, that he's like, of course I'd remember someone I fought three times. And then, like three hours later, when we got up to pay the bill, he paid and paid it. So, you know what? And I've heard mixed stories on Ty Domi, but I yeah. know that at the very least, he respected me. I appreciate that. I don't know what our bill was. I really don't remember, but I know he didn't have to pay for it. And, uh, you know, he was a nice guy to me.